Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Music of Moonsaults. I am your host, Chris Bordine, and joining me today, a very special guest. Uh, he's one of the co-hosts, sometimes three, sometimes four, sometimes two, you never know, <laughs> of uh, Three Sides of the, of the Coin, a KISS podcast. Uh, Michael Brandvold is here today. Michael, it's a pleasure to talk to you, man. Hey, it's a pleasure to speak with you as well. I always love talking KISS, and even more so because we're going to be talking crazy nights today yes yes um it's the uh we're right around the the 35th anniversary of the crazy nights album and it's a it's a very special album to me uh and i thought who better than uh the guy who had a fan sign a, co- a copy of the crazy nights album at a at a convention one time so I reached yeah. out to Michael, and he was gracious enough, gracious enough to join me. So, much appreciated. You bet. Thank you. Um, like I said, yeah. Uh, what is it? It's almost ten years. You guys have been doing three sides. December will be ten years. Yeah, and I've been on. So I started listening right because I just saw your post that it was eight years ago that you officially announced Mark as the the permanent third co-host. And I probably started listening a little bit before that when he was just popping on to do the the Spencers. Uh, mm-hmm. segments so it right around eight years is how how long i've been listening to the show so and uh i love it so thank you yes um so what uh i usually ask uh and if, if people have, have watched or listened to three sides they probably know but just kind of briefly give me uh what, what what's your relationship to kiss as far as when did you become a, a fan uh, I started as a fan back in 76. Okay. I, I, the, the first kiss moment that really sticks with me. And I remember was watching them on the Paul Lind Halloween special. Okay. And, and that was that, you know, that for me, that was like the Beatles on Ed Sullivan for a lot of people. Yeah. I, you know, I was just, I was 12 at the time. And my jaw just dropped. I was like, what, what am I seeing here? This yeah. is, you know, I love the music was amazing. The vision, I mean, it was just mind blowing for a 12 year old kid in the middle, mid seventies to see that. And, um, you know, I can't remember, you know, the exact timeline. I don't quite remember. Um, my mom got me rock and roll over as my first kiss album. And basically from that moment forward, you know, I loved kiss. I think my fandom really took off probably, uh, the dynasty era. Okay. Yeah. Um, but my first concert wasn't until creatures of the night. Gotcha. Awesome. Yeah, uh, and uh, one of the reasons why I want to talk about the Crazy Nights album uh, is because uh, this is kind of the origin story of my Kiss fandom. Um, so we'll uh, and I'll you know when we get when we get into the actual album itself, we'll uh, I'll, I'll explain that a little more. Um, but what do you? So one of the one of the many catchphrases on Three Sides is "Timeline is everything." So as a as a Kiss fan, starting in '76, when we when we get to 1987. Were you, um, did you 
did you know about Crazy Nights coming out ahead of time? What what was the what was the buzz like in in Kiss oh, fandom? Oh yeah, yeah. So in '87, um, I graduated college June of '87. Um, I had been doing college radio for about two years. I did a metal metal show on college radio and was a music director at a college station. So I was aware of the album coming out. I mean, I think. I was probably aware of every Kiss album release, starting with Lick It Up. Okay. Um, prior to that, you know, from solo albums all the way through Creatures, you know, again, timelines, everything. There was no internet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, unless you went into a record store and they had it written up on a wall of here's upcoming releases or you cat you caught some magazine article or something that listed upcoming releases it wasn't you know through the 70s and and even into the early 80s it wasn't easy to get information like that it wasn't just readily available um you know i i i distinctly remember um like the dynasty album i didn't buy it until september of 79 now that album came out i think if i'm correct in may of 79 Mm -hmm. but i went to an in-store where i met the band in september of 79 and you know bought an album to have them autograph it um and unmasked i remember walking by a music land and boy there's this huge kiss display of a new album i've never seen before in the window okay new album gotta buy it um Elder, Elder, I might have known. I think I actually bought that right around the time it was released in November. Um, but Creatures of the Night, I had no idea that album was coming out. I actually went into the record store looking for Killers because I was aware of Killers being released mm-hmm. as a as an import. And I went into the record store looking for Killers and they didn't have it you know now not surprising because it was an import it was never released domestically in the u.s but there and again this would have been maybe october up on the wall in their new release section was this kiss album i've never seen before you know you know part of that is really exciting it's just like what is that yeah it's got the kiss logo on it's got the kiss guys on it I've never seen this. Yeah. And, you know, in that spur of the moment, you're like, oh, my God, there's a new album. Buy it. Yeah. Lick It Up was when I remember, I think from Lick It Up on, I probably got every album um, release day or within a day or so of it, depending on what my schedule was. So Crazy Nights, I was definitely aware of it coming out. Um, I remember buying it um you know i i have you know full memories at that point in time again you know i graduated college in 87 so i was you know i was well aware of how things worked and operated and release dates and where to get information and oh i you know i had a phone number for a polygram rep that i could call and ask and um so yeah, I, I I I have definite memories of Crazy Nights being released. Okay, awesome. 
Uh, so it, uh, September 1987, like I said, and there's some discrepancy on the actual release date. Uh, some a lot of places have it uh, marked as the 18th. Um, others have like the 21st or the 22nd. Um, well, you know, tech. It had to have been a Tuesday, right? So I think so, that would have made it the 22nd because I I actually looked at a calendar, you know, went on my phone and. and dialed the calendar all the way back to 87 and i, I want to say that it was like the 22nd yeah was a i Tuesday. mean back then everything was released on tuesdays yeah mm-hmm. there was nobody that did a release on a monday or a thursday um the now that's not to say that record stores didn't sneak them onto the shelves early or didn't get them out on time Right. But the actual release date, the street date would have always been a Tuesday back then. Yeah. Now, now it's for the most part Fridays, but that doesn't even matter. People can release music nowadays Never. on any day they want. But back then it was just record labels and street date was always a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the 18th is my birthday, so I've always claimed it, even though it, it probably wasn't, because I think the 18th was a Friday. But anyways, um, and it uh, continuing with the 18th theme, it peaked at number 18 on the Billboard 200, which is their highest uh, of the 80s, which makes it all the more strange when you realize that it's their least represented album throughout, you know, from this point on to current day. It's it's their probably their least represented album of that era. Well, to some extent, I mean, they still will play crazy, crazy nights. You know that that when when they're rotating in and out '80s songs, mm-hmm. um, crazy, crazy nights is one of the songs they rotate. Tears are falling mm-hmm. comes in there. Um, you know, obviously, lick it up, um, but. I think Crazy Nights as an album is probably one of the least fondly looked at albums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not necessarily by the band, but by a large number of fans. Yes. And a lot of that has to do with the production. Uh, sure. Yep. And uh, they they hire Ron Nevison, uh, who had success with Hart and Ozzy, just to name a couple. Uh during this time in the mid eighties. Um, and he was so, I mean, he, he was so in demand that that's why, you know, they pretty much had to wait. They waited um, for him. Yeah. They didn't. 86 was the first year that there was, wasn't any kind of kiss release yep. since, uh, since, you know, the first album came out. Um, and they waited cause they were waiting for him so they could do this album. And yeah, you're even, I think even they realize, uh, that the, you know, the production is is maybe a little too uh, too synthesized. Uh, I, I was flipping through the uh, the behind the mask book, uh, the back of the se- the back section where they go album by album, track by track, and I, I was looking at some some quotes. Uh, Paul says, uh, "I think it's a ba- bit plastic sounding. The material and what it could have been was better than what it turned out to be." And then Ron Nevison himself says, "In hindsight, listening back, I think I used a little bit too much synthesizer on the album." In retrospect, I would have mixed down the synthesizers a little bit more. True. But, you know, again, to the timeline is everything. That's what hard rock was sounding like Mm -hmm. at that point in time. It was not 
out of place at all for that time in music. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned Ozzy, you mentioned Hart. Obviously, you've got Def Leppard, you've got Bon Jovi, um, you know, every every hard rock metal band. I mean, even Judas Priest, that's when Turbo mm-hmm. dropped. That was completely what was happening back then. It wasn't like they were doing something completely unique. Now, if you just looked at it in comparison to the KISS catalog, sure, it was different than the KISS catalog material, but musically, it fit in perfectly at that time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you you talk about just the month before, in August of 87, both Hysteria and, you know, talk about kiss trying to keep up aerosmith aerosmith was in the in their in the middle of their comeback and and permanent vacation came out the month before in august of 87 and that's got a lot of keyboards on that album too so yeah it's it's definitely what was going on at the time um and and gene's not real fond of this time either he says uh we just became what we looked like in the videos silly not as good as bon jovi not as good as Poison. They were better versions of what we did. Better looking guys, younger and thinner, who wrote better songs in that pop vein. Well, you know, Gene's not the one who should be talking about <laughs> what happened during the 80s or even around 87. Because, you know, if you study history, Gene checked out. Mm-hmm. Checked out of the band from basically post-Lick It Up up to Revenge. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, he was there touring to some extent. He may or not have been there recording, um, his songwriting up to crazy nights, in my opinion, left a lot to be desired. And let's be honest, he looked terrible. Mm-hmm. He, he, you know, and, and that, that is some extent because, you know, he's spent his whole life being a demonic monster playing a character and, and when you remove the makeup from Gene, he doesn't know what to do. Yeah. Paul, on the other hand, you take the makeup off of Paul and you've got Paul Stanley during the 80s. He's he's just acting like a rock star with or without makeup. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Gene had checked out completely. I mean, you know, anybody who's a fan of 80s Kiss knows for lack of a better term, those are all Paul Stanley solo albums with a Kiss logo on mm-hmm. it. I mean, he was he was recording what he wanted to do. He was left in charge of Kiss. He was the one responsible for Kiss staying active, being alive, mm-hmm. keeping him afloat. Um, you know, his partner of over a decade completely checked out from the band. Yeah. So it doesn't, it's not any surprise that you get an album like Crazy Nights because that's Paul Stanley. Crazy Nights is Paul Stanley. That's who he is. I mean, go Mm -hmm. back and listen to his 78 solo album. Yeah. You know, that's Paul Stanley. So, uh, you know, Gene is the last one who can, can step up and criticize anything during the 80s because he wasn't there lending his weight and you know contributing his fair share to it right right why do you think um 
why was I don't want to say why was he allowed because obviously he's a grown man he can do whatever he wants but I just got done reading a a Van Halen book Van Halen Rising and they were talking about uh, when when Gene was trying to you know uh, mentor Van Halen trying to get O'Coin Bill O'Coin to sign them on and basically Bill and Paul got together and kiboshed it. Not because they didn't think Van Halen was any good, but because they wanted to make sure Gene's focus was with the band. Why, why weren't, why do you think certain, those same measures weren't, um, impl- obviously Owen was gone, but why, why do you think Gene was allowed to get past that point in the eighties? You know, that's a good question. Never really discussed that. I mean, I think in back in the seventies, Kiss was establishing themselves. It was still the four original guys. Gene needed to be part of Kiss for them to become as big as they became. By the 80s, clearly, you know, they were down to just two original members. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kiss had, our, Kiss had been established, you know, in the fact that they were influential, you know, especially all the bands they were competing against during the eighties, they all come out and say, well, you know, kiss was one of our biggest influences. Um, so I think to some extent, Gene earned had earned the right to be able to do that mm-hmm. on the condition that he doesn't leave the band. Right. Cause that would make it more difficult contractually to do everything. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you're rec- and you know, and you can go back and look at the Creatures of the Night album. The only reason Ace Fraley was on the cover was contractually the band had to have three original members in the band. That was the contract they had with their label. Mm-hmm. Um, so they tried to fool everybody, including the label, that Ace was still in the band. Right. Um, if Gene had left the band, now is Kiss, is it still Kiss? Will they be able to draw as many people in concert, sell as many albums if Gene is no longer there, if it's only Paul? Probably not. Yeah. It was it was probably done just from a business standpoint of all right, it's gonna suck not having Gene be a contributing factor to creating all of this, but the band would be in worse shape if he did leave. And you know, who knows what the KISS contract would be if Gene left the band, would he still be a member of the band? I mean, you know, you go look at like Motley Crue. Right. Um, Mick Mars and Nikki Six are the only members of Motley Crue who are still members of the band. Right. Tommy Vince and, and Tommy are, are hired boys. musicians yeah. at this. Now, granted, they're well paid. Oh, yeah, for sure. But... But, you know, even when Ace and, and Peter came back for the reunion tour, they weren't band members. They were they were paid. They yeah. were paid employees. And, you know, would Gene be giving, you know, if Gene quit, would he be giving up his stake in Kiss? Yeah. Maybe. You'd have to think so. Yeah. That's a good report. That's a very good point. Um, is there anything else uh, big picture that that? we should talk about before we kind of dive in and go track by track here? Um, not really. I mean, I think people just have to keep in mind during the eighties, 
Kiss was successful. I mean, I think by all estimates, they sold 10 million albums just in the 80s without mm-hmm. makeup, which is nothing to sneeze at. Um, but they really needed to do an album tour, album tour, album tour almost every year to financially survive mm-hmm. as a band during the 80s. It was, you know, they they weren't they weren't comfortable where they could not worry about it. Yeah. They had to record because, you know, the, the business back then was you record an album, you get a big advance from the label yeah. to go record that album. You go on tour, you get a big advance to go on tour. You're selling tour merchandise. So they needed to do all that during the 80s. Um, and, you know, I think Paul Stanley, again, around 87, Gene is is still not back in the band. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, he doesn't really come back until 92 when, you know, and we had, we've had Larry Mazer on yes. who managed Kiss during that time. He basically... His, one of his main conditions for Gene, for him to manage the band, was you're coming back, and you're going to be Gene Simmons, and you're fully committed to the band. And, you know, thankfully he did, and we got an incredible album out, out of Revenge, but 87, it was still Paul. Yeah. I mean, you got to remember, that was also when Paul went out and did his solo tour. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul Stanley of Kiss goes out and does a solo tour. Why? You know, probably... I mean, obviously, it was for him to have fun playing the material he can't do in Kiss, but it might have also played a role in saying, "Hey, Gene, see, I can, I can do this. Uh, yeah, I can, I can go out and do a tour." Now, granted, he played clubs; he wasn't playing arenas, but Gene, I could easily just say, "Kiss is over," and Paul Stanley is going to continue and be successful. Mm-hmm. What's Gene Simmons going to do? His right. movie career didn't get off the ground at all. No. And Gene didn't have any solo material during the 80s. Um, you know, and again, he kind of stuck out like a sore thumb. I mean, especially at Asylum. He just wasn't comfortable. Yeah. You know, Gene Simmons isn't the front man babe magnet, so to speak. Right. That 80s touring rock metal bands had to have paul stanley was yes gene simmons wasn't yep i would agree with that so all right well let's uh let's go ahead let's go let's talk about the the songs on this album uh, side one uh we start start off with the i mean uh what's essentially the title track crazy crazy nights um a really big hit over in the uk for them um, in fact, their highest—it's uh, tied with "God Gave Rock and Roll to You" too as their uh, highest-charting single in the UK. Um, top ten in a couple other countries over in Europe. Uh, just a really good big song for them overseas. Yeah, uh, you know, "Crazy Crazy Nights" to me is as much an anthem as "Rock and Roll All Night" is. Mm-hmm. It is a KISS anthem, especially if you take the time to read the lyrics, listen to the lyrics about what's being said. I mean, that that's just, you know, it's a, it's a pump you up. It's a feel-good, fist in the air, don't take any crap from anybody, um, great anthemic song. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, now, so I mentioned that this this the songs from this album was part of my Kiss origin story. Um, it's it's really it's, it's this video. It's it's all three videos from this album, but it's this one specifically. Um, so sometime in the next, you know, in '88, they released that VHS with the three yep. videos. Um, my dad is a fan. Uh, that's that's kind of how I got into him. Uh, and he had that VHS and I remember the, the closing moments of the crazy, crazy nights video where Paul steps out and he's walking on the hands of the fans. Yep. Yep. And at, at two and a half years old or whatever I was when when that came out, I, it, it it hooked me. I was, I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And it probably was at, at two and a half, three years old, but. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and again, it just fits with the lyrics of that song, you know? Mm-hmm. We're a million strong, you are my people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it, it it's, it's a great song because if you really listen to it and you're a diehard Kiss fan, you can feel the, the connection. The song is written about you mm-hmm. as a fan. You know, you're my people you we're we're strong nobody's going to defeat us um you know there's how can you not feel good how can you not smile pump your fist in the air listening to that song you know and 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 ultimately that's always to me what kiss has been about it's a good time band it's not a band that sings about depression and mm-hmm. things sucking in life and you know that that's why to me carnival of souls is just a piece of crap that is that is not what kiss is about musically yep. they could be great songs it could be great performances and even great lyrics but kiss is a band that's rock and roll all night shout it out loud crazy crazy nights um you know it's about having a good time and that's what this first track is all about yeah yeah i'm no fan of the elder but if you give me the choice i have to listen to either the elder or carnival of souls i'm going to choose the elder 100 times out of 100 every time every (laughs) time there's there's nothing that makes me smile and feel good about carnival of souls absolutely nothing it you know again i mean that's what that that was them trying to be grunge and grunge was all anti mm-hmm. kiss. Yeah. You know, grunge and I'm not saying, you know, yeah, all of our lives have good and bad in it, but you know, Kiss has always said, come to a Kiss concert so you can have two hours escaping the crap that's depressing. I don't want to put on a Kiss album and listen to, you know, forty five minutes of depression. Yeah. Yep. I couldn't say it better myself. Uh, next song, "I'll Fight Hell to Hold You." Uh, this is uh, this is one of the ones where the where the keyboards and synthesizers are, are really noticeable. Um, but I really like this song. I, I love the uh, um, the drum fills that Eric Carr is playing going into the the choruses. Uh, it's kind of reminiscent of of, of uh, Creatures of the Night in a way. The way the just the do 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 do. Um, so yeah, I, I like the song a lot. You know, I, I do too. And and basically it's 
what it is is the whole album for me is like that because the previous albums um asylum and animalized they didn't have producers yeah they were self-produced yes you know they might say produced by paul stanley and gene simmons but yeah for the most part they were produced by paul stanley giving gene simmons credit yeah um Gene, and, probably, Gene probably had had a lot to say about his songs on the album. Sure. Oh, sure. But sure. Otherwise, it was probably it was pretty much all Paul. And and you know, and this is what I I would say about like even their last two albums, Monster and Sonic Boom. You can tell when there's no producer involved in an album. Mm-hmm. It can still be a good album, but it's just missing a little bit more to make it a great album. Yeah that producer's role to change things a little bit sonically, bring it all together, tweak the lyrics. Um, that's a producer's role. And post Lick It Up, this was the first album where I was like, and and believe me, I think Asylum is probably the most underrated mm-hmm. Kiss album out there. Um, but Crazy Nights, I was like, Oh wow! This finally sounds entirely like an album. Yeah, the production is great. The drums are great. The guitars are great. The lyrics are great. The vocals are great. Everything has been tweaked that little bit more to make it perfect. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, that's the consistent theme running through this entire album is. You know, when this dropped, I was like, okay, this feels like a band effort. Yes. Especially when you keep in mind, you know, from Lick It Up to Animalize to Asylum, the rotating guitar players they had, you know, there was a lot of change going on. This was like coming out of Asylum, this was the first time there wasn't change happening. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. This is this is we finally have a lineup solidified for the first time in what feels like forever. Yeah, I mean, yes, Bruce was on Asylum, but every other album was a one, you know, Vinny on Look It Up. Okay, Vinny's gone on Animalize. It's Mark St. John. Mark St. John's gone. Bruce Kulick's back uh, coming in for Asylum. And you're sort of like, okay, are we going to get another guitar player? Is this the yearly guitar player change or is Kiss settled in? And thankfully they settled in with Mm -hmm. Bruce Kulick. And I feel like Crazy Nights as an album was also the first album where Bruce Kulick felt more like he was part of the band. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, he's got a couple co-writes on, on the album. Um, yeah, he, he definitely, um, plays a bigger role in in the uh in the creation of the album it seems like yep um and then we get uh three paul songs in a row to kick off the uh um kick off the album which just again just reiterates the point of how how paul heavy this era was bang bang you uh this is one of the songs that they did play on the tour from the album uh and uh, a familiar fa- uh, Paul wrote a lot with Desmond Child in the '80s, and and he helps him out on this one. Um, kind of a, a cheeky song, but I like it. I I think it's a good one. Oh, y- you can yeah, definitely I mean, hear the, the the. This was the one where you're like, oh, okay, this is the Def Leppard song. 
this is the song a lot of fans are like oh my god these are just terrible lyrics and i'm just like no they don't it felt again it felt just perfect in in the mid to mid to late 80s this type of song i mean i always use as my illustration the corniest lyric is is gene's burn bitch burn i mean it was just i mean and and actually prior to crazy nights it just felt like Gene was just crapping out lyrics. It's just like Paul said, okay, Gene, I need a song from you. And Gene's like, okay, give me five minutes. All right, here you go. Here's my song. I'm done. I've got a movie audition to go to. Mm-hmm. There was no effort. It felt like to some extent, and maybe it's because there was a producer forcing rewrites and edits, but it felt like Crazy Nights, we at least had Gene a bit more focused. Yeah, uh that's another thing that uh, I found out, you know, find Nevison has said is that, you know, Paul would presented him with like, you know, eight, nine, ten songs or, you know, a very small, the best of the best that he had at the time. Right. Whereas Gene sent him like 20 to 25 songs of, yeah. of varying, you know, quality. Yep. And, you yep. know, he was definitely, you know, quality over or quantity over quality at, at the time. Yep. Um, but we get some of that quality because if we finally get some Gene here on the album, No, No, No uh, is is next, and it's a Gene song. Uh, I always I try and find the, the wrestling connection when I'm doing these albums, and uh, this is the first song that Chris Jericho's uh, 80s Kiss cover band put out. Mm, okay, interesting. Yeah, I'm, no, I, no, 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 to me is is the surprise standout song on the entire album. I mean, it opens up with a blistering Bruce Kulick guitar solo. Mm-hmm. I mean, the song literally starts with a guitar solo. And I was just like, that is, that's so unlike Kiss. That's mm-hmm. so not natural for most bands to just start with a guitar solo. And, you know, Bruce Kulick's new to the band, but damn, he, he, he stepped up and, you know, solidified his position. It's like, oh man, you, you hats off, Bruce. I mean, that was a great solo to open a song with. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's cause, uh, cause you know, he's a replacement member or, you know, the third, you know, replacement guitar player. Uh, but he doesn't, uh, get talked about nearly enough i don't think when you're talking about you know the guitar players of the 80s you know i'm not you know i, I wouldn't say you know put them up there with with eddie or anything like that or randy but like you know cc and and um and richie and you know well you know bruce is this doesn't take away from bruce's skill or ability but bruce was a perfect guitar player for kiss because he had no intention of overshadowing Gene and Paul. That's true. That's true. Kiss in the eighties is Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. And you know, that was the problem they had with Vinnie Vincent is Vinnie Vincent wanted to get out in front of those two guys and overshadow them. He wanted the spotlight. It's like, you don't get that. This is not your band. This is Gene and Paul's band. They are the leaders for the most part. That's who people are coming to see. Um, and Bruce, fit in very nicely he Mm -hmm. didn't rock the boat he didn't shake things up 
He was a quiet, unassuming person that was always there, always dependable, you know? So it would have been different if Bruce was a founding member of the band. You know, when you look back at other eighties bands, when he's competing against the CCs and the Warren D Martinis and, and the Richie Sambors, I mean, those guys were equal members of the band. Mm -hmm. So they had a stake, they had a position, they could be out in forefront, you know, Bruce was, you know, you play, play good, and then you step back. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, We get a back-to-back Gene songs here. Hell or High Water is the second Gene song on the album. I think this is a really good song, too. I I think Gene's, like, uh, I, I, uh, my hot take is I think Gene's 80s output is, is better than what the perception, with the exception to Animalize. Uh, and p- most of Hot in the Shade, but I think his his Look It Up songs are really good. I like his stuff on Asylum quite a bit, uh, and and I think this all his songs on Crazy Nights and of course Revenge are are are, are killer songs. Yeah, I I I agree. I mean, um, from Lick It Up, Lick It Up was great. Animalize was. Come back crazy nights that was one of the first my i still remember this one of my first memories of listening to crazy nights was like oh wow it really sounds like gene is back mm-hmm. you know vocals are are more singing not growling vocals um songwriting i liked much better um again yeah that was my take on gene throughout the whole crazy nights album was like Okay, he doesn't feel like he just ran in real quick, recorded a vocal, tried to act demon-esque, and then ran out again. It feels like he was a bit more involved with this album. You know, his vocals just are are much better on Crazy Nights. Now, you know, maybe that's because there's more processing and more effects on him. I don't care. I mean, as we've always said on Three Sides of the Coin, at the end of the day, it's the song that matters. Mm-hmm. You know, what it takes to get a great song, I don't care. I just want a great song. Yeah. And I think, you know, and many Kiss fans will just disagree, but I think we got a lot of great songs on Crazy Nights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but not one of them, in my opinion, is the closer to side one, My Way. I'm. This is my least favorite song on the album. This one is, this one takes the, I can handle the keyboards on most of the songs. This one takes it way out of, uh, all the way, it's all the way over in the red to me on, on this song. This, this is the song that, yeah, it, this is a song that people either love or hate. Mm -hmm. And I love it again, more for the lyrical content. This is another, this isn't an anthem, so to speak, but this is a, you know, a declaration. Flip off, yeah, flip off people who are telling you to do it their way, that you're doing it wrong, that you can't do it. You know, do it my way. I'm doing it my way, and I'm proud of doing it my mm-hmm. way. And at least for me, a big part of Kiss has always been the inspirational lyrics. The lyrics that unless you pay attention, you don't realize you're listening to them saying stuff 
that's a consistent theme through KISS all through the years is don't listen to what people tell you to do. Do what you want to do. Yeah. Do it your way. Do what you think, what makes you happy, what you love. Um, And I think that's great. You know, more bands need to say that because when you, even when you don't pay attention to the lyrics, I think if you listen to those songs over and over and over and over again, they're seeping into your subconscious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. I can see that for sure. Um, side two kicks off when your walls come down. Um, they actually, I guess, played this uh, uh, early on in the tour. Uh, it didn't last long in the set. Um, but I, I thought it, it's a good way to kick off the second side of the album. Um, just another good uh, good rocking tune on, on, yep. on the Crazy Nights album. Com- completely agree. Completely agree. I got no issues with when your walls come down. Yeah. And then we get to the uh, the the big video, uh, "Reason to Live," the 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 prerequisite power ballad in the '80s. Um, this is really the first time they've really tried that, though, uh, in the in the non makeup era, because there wasn't yeah, really I mean, one on on uh, Asylum or Animal Eyes. They 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 million they, to one is is borderline on Lick It Up, but but not not like this. Yeah, you know. They, meaning the band and the record label, really tried hard to make this this album explode. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's double platinum, which isn't anything to sneeze at. Yeah. But at the time when, you know, you've got Bon Jovi and Def Leppard and other people selling 10 million plus, which is what they were hoping to achieve with this, um, it can be seen as a failure. Um, but... Yeah, reason to live was there, you know, we're we're bankrolling on this one. Mm-hmm. This is gonna this is gonna cross over because that's what those power ballads were intending to do during the eighties. It's like it crosses you from rock over to adult contemporary mainstream radio. Mm-hmm. And it's as good as anything that was being released at the time. I think the problem Kiss has always had this problem. We'll always have this problem. It's Kiss. Yeah. Nobody's going to take Kiss seriously. Yeah. They're never going to be seen by the general population as a serious band. It's the band that sticks out their tongue and spits blood and has a ton of pyro on stage. People listen with their eyes, not with their ears. Mm -hmm. Again, Reason to Live is as good as anything that was happening at the time, and it should have been huge. It's just, it's Kiss. Yeah. And you can't get away from that. Yeah. Yeah, it didn't get the chart success, but but it was a big hit on MTV. Uh, This is back in the Dial MTV. Dial MTV, oh yeah. yeah. And it was was number one on Dial MTV for... Quite a while in the in the yep. beginning of '88, so um, they had that going for them. Uh, and uh, is this when? So you know, obviously we know uh, moving forward, you know, Hot in the Shade tour, they bring up back a lot of the classic songs, and it just keeps rolling and rolling as far as like recognizing their history um, up until the reunion. Um, in this video, Gene's got the bass. With, yep. with with his makeup on it. Yep. Is this where it's kind of st- st- they're tipping they're their plan- 
They're, they're you know, whether, dipping their whether, toes whether in they, that water. Yeah, whether they were doing it intentionally, I don't know. But I remember when I first saw it going, you know, if you were a Kiss fan from the 70s, you were like, whoa, what is that? He's got the makeup on the bass. Because mm-hmm. you're right. They, they, ha- they, they hadn't really focused on the makeup in anything from Lick It Up onward. Yeah. And then Crazy Nights hits. And you're like, wow, there's a little bit right there. And yeah, I don't know whether it was intentional or what, but it was a cool little seed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think for the older Kiss fans, it was something where you're like, I like this. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. It's a, that was cool. An Easter egg is, I think, yeah, what they sort call of it. Speak. In yeah. The, uh, in yeah. The, uh, you know, when you're doing, talking about like the Marvel movies and stuff like that. So. Um, so yeah. And then like the, 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 the Porsche in the video is, was actually Paul's and it was, uh, given to him by Gene as like, yep. uh, Hey, sorry, I haven't been around. Here's a Porsche. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the next song, good girl gone bad. I think this is my favorite. This is the, my favorite Gene song on the album. I, I would agree. I, I love this Gene song. Uh, I, I think it's just great lyrics, great vocals. It just feels like a natural Gene Simmons. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then the third and final single that didn't really do anything, although I. It should have. Again, it it's as good as it was as good as anything out it, there. This is my favorite song on the entire album. Uh, Turn on the night. Um, the video is cool uh, with the with the, the girl coming out of the road case and, and you know, turning on the power and, you know, it looks it looks silly now, you know, in in 2022, you can definitely tell the, you know, the green screen and whatnot. But it, you know, they pan out and they're playing. It looks like it's, the video starts out. It looks like they're playing in an arena, but then it, they pan out and they're on on a rooftop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and again, every everything from the 80s, when you look at it from today, looks kind of cheesy and hokey. Yeah. But, you know, if you were. You know, again, I was I was in just graduating college then. That was freaking cool. Mm-hmm. That was happening. That was what everything was like. It was, you know, and again, it's hard to for people to understand this. That was MTV era. Oh, MTV yeah. was it. It was everything in the eighties, and videos were like. You know, they bands would spend, you know, a quarter million dollars to film one video back then. Mm-hmm. Pyro, staging, you know, all sorts of people and special effects. I mean, they were mini movies mm-hmm. back then. Oh yeah, um, they were they were big deals. There would be, you know, the MTV World Premiere of the new Kiss video is coming up this Thursday. You're going to see it before anybody else right here on MTV. I mean, that was a huge, huge deal. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. They, and they, they, they shot it at the, uh, in Worcester, Massachusetts, the, the, you know, the video and, but they never played the song live, even though it was a single, which is, well, you crazy. know, and yeah, it was the third single. It didn't go anywhere. Yeah. So why, why would you? You know, in their minds, are like, why do we play a song that nobody's gonna is nobody's playing it on the radio? Nobody's interested in it. You know, yeah. we're not 
it, the I think they basically knew at that point, not that the album was dead because again it did sell two million copies, but this album wasn't going to break. Right, right. Uh, and again, there's 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 a couple people in the crowd with with makeup on, so yep, we're starting to see that. Um, but yeah, it's a whenever whenever Bruce does one of his shows on the cruise or whatever, I'm always like. Did, did he do turn on the night and he did did he do who wants to be lonely those are the two i always look for in those sets uh so and then we close out the album with uh thief in the night a gene song uh that originally was on the window wendy o williams record yeah you know it's not a bad song at all but mm-hmm. if there was any low point for me it's thief in the night i okay. was just like wait this, this is from the Wendy O. Williams album. You mean you didn't have anything more? Now, granted, it wasn't Wendy O. Williams' song that Kiss covered. Wendy O. Williams played basically a Kiss song. Right. Um, but still, you know, and, and back then, I was listening to that Wendy O. Williams album all the time because to this day, that's probably the greatest Kiss record out there without a Kiss logo on it because it's got so much Kiss in it. Mm-hmm guitar player, songwriting, Gene producing it. I mean, it sounds like a Kiss record with Wendy Williams singing it. It's a phenomenal album. If nobody, if you haven't heard it, you got to go find the Wow album from Wendy Williams. It's a great album. But Thief in the Night, I was just like, okay, well, I, I've already heard this. Why are you doing this? And, and it, it was even more of a low point years later when, you know, you start discovering great songs that were recorded for crazy nights that they didn't use like sword and stone Mm -hmm. sword and stone is an amazing song that they didn't use paul reno from lover boy recorded it on his solo album right um and and you know over, over the decades many other demos have come out it's like boy there's a lot of great demos and other songs from that crazy nights era that you could have used why thief in the night why right. did you have to do thief in the night which was just a couple years earlier on wendy o williams album yeah it's a, you know you mentioned sword of the stone which is which is the one that i'm i'm most that one and time traveler are, are the two demos that i'm most familiar with from this era and i'm guessing it, it you know you know trying to keep some semblance of balance you know uh between the paul and the gene songs um, you know, give give them at least four. While while uh, you know, well, oh yeah, I mean it 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 it's funny because you know as much as I talked about, it's all about the song. You know, as Larry Mazer talked about for the Revenge album, you know, the second single off of Revenge had to be a Paul song, even though the better choice would have been another Gene song. But in order to keep the peace between those two, he went. He, he went with the Paul song. Yeah. And, you know, even with Gene not involved in these albums, you know there was that going on. It's like, okay, well, if Paul's singing four songs, Gene's going to have four songs. Mm-hmm. If there's going to be, if if Paul gets a single, then Gene gets a single. doesn't matter whether it's the right choice. It's the choice that you do to keep the peace. Yep. Yep. For sure. And that's, I mean... That goes in bands. That goes to any any kind of relationship. Sometimes. Oh yeah, I, oh yeah. It's 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 give and take. I mean, it's you know, 
Gene hates I Was Made for Loving You, but he plays it because Paul loves it. Mm -hmm. Paul's not necessarily a fan of I Love It Loud, but they do it because Gene loves it. Mm -hmm. You know, again, it's give and take. It's it's keeping things happy and and balanced. But yeah, part of me is like, well, crap, you left off what would have been a much better song. Yeah. Suck it up, Gene. Do it for the song, not for the ego. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Michael, is there anything else we didn't we didn't touch? I think we pretty much covered this thing uh, front to back. But is there anything else that uh, any final I mean, words? I you know the only thing I would add is the album for me is like one of my top three Kiss albums easily. It, yeah. Easily, it's in my top five um, studio albums for sure. Uh, but the tour. This Crazy Nights tour, one of the worst tours they've ever done. One of the, I I hated it. I mean, it was only 75 minutes, so mm-hmm. it was short. Um, the stage was kind of meh, bland. Um, the only cool thing was they opened the show with Love Gun. Yeah. Yeah. Which was... So unexpected. It was like, whoa, you're opening with Love Gun, which I think bands have to do that every once in a while. You shake, it could be a song you've heard a million times, but just hearing it in a different spot shakes things up significantly. But the tour itself, the set, the length of it just was boring. It felt, it felt like to me as somebody who seen you know my first tour was creatures of the night and i'd seen every tour up to and past then the crazy nights tour felt like they were going through the motions Mm -hmm. it was just like let's just get this done and over with and on um i do feel visually the band members looked better Mm -hmm. um you know i uh we all know the asylum look was and timelines everything everybody was doing it back then but that was still crazy and off the wall and you know lick it up was them trying to be mad max and yeah uh, you know crazy nights felt like at least for uh, at least for paul he was becoming more just paul Mm -hmm. he was just paul he was comfortable doing what he was doing yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i I think they all looked look pretty good yeah it was the, the the crazy the crazy stage costumes had toned down. Although I got to say, you know, Bruce and his suits were a little odd, but you know, it, it, it is what it is, yeah. but it, 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 they looked better again. It just felt like, geez, it's only a 75 minute set. I mean, you couldn't even do 90 minutes. Yeah. yeah you know, that's... that's 15 more minutes. You could have done three or four more songs Easily. easily yeah um yeah i felt like they just wanted to get off the stage almost mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah that is uh that's too bad i i'm pretty sure yeah no i know for sure because he's got the tour book i know my dad saw this this tour and that's the it's the one he doesn't talk about as much and that that's probably the reason why is because you know and, so and the other thing that was odd is at least when i saw him um i'm pretty sure it was anthrax who was opening for them on the crazy nights tour which 
absolutely nothing against Anthrax. And the guys in Anthrax are absolute huge Kiss fans. Mm -hmm. But talk about two bands that didn't musically fit. You've got Kiss out promoting their heavy keyboard album, and you've got Anthrax, which is basically a thrash band. Yeah. It's like, whoa, whoa, this is just day and night. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah, that doesn't that seems seems like a recipe for disaster. Uh I mean, you know, it 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 worked, but it just was like you know, and maybe it was Kiss saying, "Well, we want to try and pull some of their fans in and show them what we're capable of doing." But you know, back then I would have much rather had, you know, a black and blue open forum or, you know, Crocus or see Wasp again. Especially black and blue when you consider that, you know, part of the reason why Gene was uh, absent so much is he was was producing. Exactly. I mean, musically, those bands would have fit much more naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Michael, uh, this has been, like I said, it's been such a thrill for me uh, as, as a fan of the, of the, of, three sides to, to have you on today to talk about kiss um you guys got a lot going on with, you know not just the, the podcast itself but you guys got a cameo and you have an alexa app so kind of oh just yeah you know we've all, all we've always looked at what more can we do than just being a podcast let's do a radio station let's do cameo videos let's you know whatever the next thing is you know it's sort of like kiss they're never afraid to try something different it's like yeah, we love talking about Kiss, but what more can we do? Yeah, we have a blast doing it. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and it shows. It shows uh, when when you listen that you guys are are having a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, is so. I mean, is there anything uh, you know? Just just say uh, you know, with the Alexa app or anything you wanna you wanna you know. Well, you know, you can you can you can find the podcast at three sides of the coin dot com. Um, you can get all the information on how to launch and use our 24-7, 365 KISS radio show. Just go to threesidesofthecoinradio.com. Um, by the time this is airing, we're actually, the radio station will have been taken over by Charlie Benante from Anthrax, and he's programmed it all with all of his favorite KISS songs. Um, we just had Eddie Trunk programming the station mm-hmm. um this will be point, i'll be releasing this on the eight on the 18th on my birthday so okay Charlie's all right playlist well that's, be on that, there, that, that that'll be it charlie benante's programming will be live then and okay cool. um at some point in the future we've got ron keel programming the station um you know we've actually chris jericho said he's going to do something so you know we're keeping the station fresh by having all these people come in and provide their favorite kiss songs you know you know somebody like chris jericho will probably be filled with 80s material and i'll love it I'll, yep. yeah I'll, I'll be i'll be definitely whenever his his uh playlist shows up i'll be definitely making sure i tune into that so yep all right cool. well uh michael again thanks a lot um as for me you can uh you guys can follow me on twitter at i chris or just go to musicandmoonsaults.com for all the information on on the podcast. So until next time, everyone, see ya.